The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as the potential for the discussion about topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the persons making them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. and Yokoso to episode 26 of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. And I am Ed. And if my opening words were any indication of the topic for this evening's festivities, then like that vaguely racist ode to masturbation by the 80s one-hit wonder band The Vapors, we're turning Japanese. (laughs) Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. (laughs) And on this journey of whiskey self-pleasure to the Far East, we've invited the expertise of our friend, master mixologist, and bartender extraordinaire, Anders. Genki desu ka? Oh, 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 oh shit. Oh, in my I, face. I thought I was clever by doing hello and welcome in Japanese, but <laughs> w- what did you just say? I, I asked how you guys were doing. Oh, uh, well, we're doing just fine. Yeah. So, with Anders' help, Ed and I will be parsing the flavor profiles of two more or less entry-level expressions of Japanese whiskey, exploring the surprisingly long history of the distilleries that produce them, discussing how Japan literally saved the bourbon industry from the brink of collapse, and finally, chowing down on some random, bizarrely flavored Japanese snack foods. But first, Ed's going to get his lawnmower started by telling us which two Japanese whiskeys we're just engorged and tingling to try here tonight. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Scott. I guess thanks, Scott. Um, oh, you'll thank so, me later. <laughs> so, uh, Anders actually provided both of these, and we thank him so much. Um, thank you so much. We were talking to ones to do it, and I was talking about one I had tried, and he was like, yeah, like, this is your first Japanese episode, and you're trying to bring, like, a whistle pig 12-year to the party, and you haven't even done, like, a Buffalo Trace yet, so <laughs> why don't we, like, walk before we run, and because right. um, you're not going to want to go backwards, and or maybe you are. And um, So, domo arakato. Uh, Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. So now, both of these are delicious whiskeys from what I understand. I've never tried them, but we're going to start off with a Suntory Toki from the famous of the Suntory Beam Distillery and a Nika Coffee Mott Whiskey. Both of these are from Japan. And we have um, some snacks here that we've ordered straight from Japan. We also, for dinner tonight, before we got on air, we had a spectacular array of sushi. Mm, that was so good. A spicy tuna, a little Fantastic. spicy salmon, shrimp tempura roll. So it's delicious. So we're going to start off with a snack, right? Is that what we're going to do, Scott? I, yeah. I, yeah, I guess so.
I have a whole bowl here. Uh, I got these off of Amazon. Uh, less than twenty dollars for like thirty six snacks. Right. These are children's snacks. They're very colorfully labeled. Well, they're children's snacks as combos and goldfish are children's snacks. Adults eat them too, I'm sure. Actually, you know what? Here's a group of five of these. So you guys choose one of these five. Right. These are called umaibo. Oh, okay. And they are puffed corn. And I have the flavors of all but one of them. All right, I'm going to take the blue one, I think. I'll take red. I can tell mine's not expired till August 1st. Besides that, I have no idea what this is. It's mostly in Japanese. Oh, this is so fun. Oh, my God. Uh, this takes me back to... Uh, Which yeah. one did you To take? high school. Um, I took... I think it's apple. Is it? But it almost deceptively looks like it could be pizza flavored. Oh, is it the one with the boy on it? Because that's the one that I didn't know. So definitely I, open that and taste that. What's yeah. Mine? What's mine? Because mine's got like a vinegary Andy Cap pub fry. Almost so, like a salt and vinegar potato chip flavor yeah so ed the one that you have is um tonkatsu sauce which is a uh, salty sour sauce that they use on tonkatsu which is a okay. pork cutlet what you have anders i couldn't find on the internet what does it taste like it's apple it's definitely apple. is it it's got a little bit more of a sourness to it huh. but it's got the consistency of like a puffy cheeto right but more of the flavor profile of apple jacks like this oh, really yeah <laughs> that's awesome i have um mentai which is pollock row oh um, that's awesome so it's basically caviar flavored so I'm going to oh. taste it. Mentai. Huh. It is fishy, but it's also sweet. Mm. <laughs> That's actually not bad at all. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. While we have these snacks, Ed is pouring some toki. Just getting ready. Here, pour me some toki. Oh, yeah. Uh, we promised Anders that he wouldn't have to pour, but now he's pouring. I've poured so many drinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in the middle, though. We, we gave That's him true. a place of honor. So. Yeah. To be fair, I haven't poured many drinks over the past two months. So That's also true, right? My pours are probably off. <laughs> yeah, he's actually missing the glasses. It's going all over the counter. He's so out of practice. <laughs> it's like I'm, an I'm, airplane with a, <laughs> has a drinking problem. <laughs> he's got a pouring problem. So, some Tori whiskey. The founder, Shinjiro Tori, was born born in 1879 and he ends up living all the way to 1962 so he had a pretty nice run he lived to be 83 mm. <laughs> pretty average for japanese yeah, I guess. they live a long time <laughs> oh yeah especially in okinawa it's a blue zone right so he, he stopped school at 13 he just ended into an apprenticeship for a pharmaceutical company in osaka and they happened to carry western liquors and he kind of like got into it and he got into the art of mixing them and then developed a discriminating palate and a nose not a lot of people had a discriminating nose for western spirits in japan back then so he gave him a kind of like a niche mm -hmm. and so in the year 1899 he went independent rented a modest house and he founded a company in osaka where he made a sweet wine and he really wanted to create an original japanese whiskey mm. uh, uniquely made from japanese nature and by japanese people but he had to get money first so the wine started to sell good he got a little bit of capital and then from 1918 to 1923 he kind of invested his family fortune and pursued his dream of building japan's first whiskey distillery uh which he did the Yamasaki Distillery was Japan's first. Mm -hmm. And between 1929 and 1937, it starts to produce the first Japanese-made whiskey, which was simply Suntory White Label and was not received very well. <laughs> and it failed due to its imitation of smoky Scottish whiskeys. I think in the Japanese market, it was just too much, too fast, like jumping into like PD smoky scotch. As you know, if, if I was Japanese in, in 1931, I'd be like, uh, fuck this. I don't want to drink this. You don't have to be back then. You don't right. like it now. Right. I wouldn't like it now. <laughs> but pride drove him on. And then he put out a second whiskey in a square bottle, some Tori Kakubin, which basically went on to become the heart and soul of Japanese whiskey and the country's number one seller. Mm. 
Things went along pretty much as they were until he passed away and his son took over. Kaiser Sally inherited his father's quest to push the boundaries of what a Japanese whiskey could be. In 1972, he opened up another distillery on the calm shores of the Chita Peninsula. And then on 73, he built the Hakushu Distillery to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Suntory. And then things kind of got real around the 80s. 84 Suntory mm-hmm. single malt whiskey, the Yamasaki 12-year, 18-year, and 25-year. Oh. In 89, Suntory put out the Habiki. Mm. Comes in the Harmony, the 17-year, and the 21-year. So finally, it brings us to 2016. Third-generation master blender Shingo Tori continued the pursuit of his family legacy, and he produces the very approachable and plentiful Toki, which, from my understanding, is the opposite of Blanton's, is that it's produced in Japan for the North American market. Ah, right. So it's got a very clear gold color it's one of the lightest colored and yellowest it's really very yellow it's yeah. like a um it's like bushmills yeah very good analogy this is striking to me like a slightly higher proof irish whiskey i think it comes in at like what 86 yes yeah i'm really excited to taste this because i have not right. had many japanese whiskeys ed i don't think you have either no uh, no so uh, the nose you're looking for some uh, green apple and honey okay green apple comes right off oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like a green spot very level. green spot yeah. i was gonna say that it has a very nice nose it also says basil on the nose too just to throw it out there basil green apple and honey the palate they say a little citrus green grapes peppermint and thyme wow oh my gosh this is a delicious whiskey green grapes peppermint and thyme if you told me this was an irish whiskey i would be completely convinced me yeah. too some japanese whiskeys from what i understand can be very scotch like this yeah. is very yes. irish whiskey like very Absolutely. much i think it comes yeah. because it's a blend if i remember i think it's primarily whiskey from the hakshu distillery and there are like little bits of yamazaki as well yeah this is surprising to me. I, yeah. I did not think that this was going to smell or taste like this no. at all. It's a delicious whiskey. And for price point of about, about 40 Yeah. I mean, you could drink this all goddamn day. It's so good, right? <laughs> you really could. So, it's so uh, light and airy and fruity, and th- there's nothing harsh about it. I like it a lot. I don't know what the next one's going to hold, mm. but for my first exposure to Japanese whiskey on the podcast, I am very pleased with a very reasonably priced point whiskey. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, the, yeah. Toki, the Toki is delicious, and uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more because I want to keep drinking it. So, <laughs> Yeah. I think, let's get another snack while we keep talking. Oh, about yeah. It. A little more snacks. Yeah, pass it down. Yeah. finish my little apple uh i'm gonna open this one because this is the one we couldn't really figure out what it was so i'm dying to open it but there's candy chocolates savory snacks there's even a cereal Hmm. i just took the big one one looks like a giant carrot okay i'm actually gonna get one of these grape ones uh grape Grape gummy candy yeah Okay, so this one tasted like ketchup and mustard corn puffs, right? It's, it's so bizarrely true. Sweet and salty, but like with a little bit of vinegar. Yeah, it's it's almost cereal-like, but that there's that savory element to it. These are good. 
<laughs> I put the carrot thing back. Oh, you couldn't get the I carrot open? I can't open. These, I'm uh, taking the milk and coffee tasting one. So I got into Japanese whiskey when I worked at Hop Singh. Right. Hop Singh is in Chinatown in Philly. And randomly, there's not a very large Japanese population in Chinatown in Philly. Uh, it's, it's mostly Chinese, Korean, and Vietnamese. But there are still a lot of Japanese places, like sushi bars and, you know, ramen shops and izakayas which are like dive bars but not really they're like little places where you can get like some small bites to eat some like food dumplings and tempura mm. and very right. quick and easy food to cook right, right, right. yeah yeah uh little and then pot shops or whatever yeah, they're called. Yeah. yeah and then you know from what i understand in japan like the salary man like the company man kind of culture a lot of them go out after um, yeah work and drink profusely and they work a lot and they've earned it so there's a uh, this region i want to go to in tokyo called golden guy which is like a whole neighborhood of bars that are about as big as your bar not, uh, yeah but there's like 50 of them wow and they're like on top of each other oh man I would like to go to Japan. And yeah, go I, to I totally. Every I, bar and golden guy. I absolutely want to go to Tokyo. It's it's one of the places on my bucket list. We'll all go together and record a podcast oh, that would, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Wait till they invite us. So the um the things in that carrot, Ed, I was finally uh, able to open it. Um, <laughs> it's like a puffed, uh, sweetened cereal, almost like sugar pops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here, wait. You taste this one. Tell me what that one tastes like. Oh, um, it tastes like super sugar crisp. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the bear, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it tastes like golden crisp. It's so funny because on the package, that's exactly what it looked like. But mm. it said on the package, it said milk and coffee. Those were the only two English words on it. Right. And I'm like, that looks like super sugar crisp. And that's what exactly what it tastes like. It actually is. I, I don't taste any coffee whatsoever. So I will say that the finish to this whiskey is subtly sweet, spicy finish with a hint of vanilla oak, white pepper, and ginger. Ooh, yeah. Ginger. Mm -hmm. This uh, citrusy, spicy kind of finish to it. Yeah. This is enough like Green Spot that for 25 oh. bucks less a bottle, I'll be drinking yeah. a lot more of this than Green Spot. Yeah, it hits all the same notes that yeah. Green Spot Irish does. A lot of same notes. Wow. It's also, I feel like it has a much longer finish. It does because oh, it right. does have a little bit more of a scotchy finish. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's mm -hmm. the only place where I can say I get a scotch note is on the finish. Yes. And, which is what they call the sweet and spicy combo finish, you know, with little white pepper and ginger mm. right i get all the sweet finish but there is that little at the end goes scotch you know what i mean just <laughs> yeah. at the very end like hey the whiskey the irish whiskey and scotch yeah it, it's taunting you ed ed you're drinking a scotch no, but, ha -ha. But, ha -ha. Yeah, but i'm ha -ha. i'm better now ha -ha. right I, like i drink ha -ha. i you know ha -ha. Glim, glimmerot ha -ha. <laughs> Glimmeragi, oh, right? I did a monkey yeah. shoulder. I've, I, I've enjoyed them. I bought them on my own. You've come a long way, Virginia Slims. Right. We've converted you. Str Stranahan's American single malt. Welcome to the dark side. You know? but, <laughs> this uh, is all Anders' fault. Uh, he absolutely. knew. He knew when he bought us that Lagavulin eight year that, that we were gonna. Uh, I knew you were gonna. I didn't do shit yeah. to drag me. Fall into it. Yeah. Oh, but <clears> you dragged <throat> me shit. You did pick. It in one of the contests. Well, you it, did. It was a better whiskey. Well, there you go. Mm. And Centauri, you know, they have some diversification. They own a couple other beverage products. I think they have some wine and some soda. They have a Pepsi bottling venture in Japan. They own Subway Japan. They own the Centauri Pepsi Company, Vietnam Beverage Company. Oh, cool. Shit. In a joint venture with Pepsi. So I'm sure that makes them a couple dollars. So they're doing all right. <laughs> That's probably where they got that Jim B money that they came up with. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, right. we got all this Pepsi money laying around. What should we buy? Let's buy Jim B. America's oldest distillery. Yes. So when was that? When did they purchase Jim Beam? Oh, well, I'm like 20. Had I known you were going to stump me with that? Okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm like um, 2014. Uh, one minute. One minute. January 2014, Centauri announced an agreement to buy the largest U.S. bourbon producer, Beam Incorporated, for $16 billion. <laughs> 
Scott and I, we almost outbid him. We were right there. Yeah, yeah. we were fifteen point nine billion. Short. <sighs> yep. So um <laughs> short. <laughs> so you know, fifteen point nine billion short is still a hundred million dollars. Can I have some money, please? <laughs> I know, I know. We were tip more, please. We were, Bars have been closed for three months. We were fifteen point nine 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 short. Okay. That's like a thousand dollars. That's understandable. <laughs> if Scott and I had to, we could probably pull ten G's together if it was really important. <laughs> if it's really, if we really mm. wanted, if to. we really, really wanted to. So whatever that is, minus sixteen billion. That's when we were short. <laughs> <laughs> you do the math. We're drinking yeah. anything Japanese snacks. That's we don't right. care about math. That's right. I'm, I'm eating basically Japanese golden crisps or whatever. All right, you want to do one more snack and one we'll take a snack. break. And Okay, come back with the Nika. Yeah, give me that, uh, give me something small. Give me a small cracker thing or something. Yeah, like a small cracker thing. So what I have here is a rice cracker. Oh, was that the little soy sauce yeah, bowl? Yeah, it, this has a soy sauce uh, built into it. So I want to try that. Really good, isn't it? That is good. I don't really taste the soy sauce. I mean, you do because or else it'd just be rice. It's that saltiness. It's, um, it's also a little sweet, too. Mm. Actually, I want one of these onion uh, corn puff things. Yeah, open it up. So mine says cabbage taro, which has no cabbage or taro in it, I saw on the internet. It's <laughs> corn puffs with okonomiyaki sauce. Okonomiyaki? Yeah. So that's like a Japanese fish pizza. Those things are super fuck upable. Okay. So um, that's what this corn puff tastes like, apparently. Yeah. Let's pass it around. Yeah. Oh, this is good. This tastes like the other thing that it was like ketchup and mustard a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's like, it's like a Japanese funyun. Yeah. Oh, that one is? Yeah. But let not me, as strong as our funyun. Let me try that one. Mm. And, uh, so what surprised me so far with all the snacks that we've tried is I liked them all. <laughs> I was concerned that I wouldn't like any of them because there's like fish sauces. They're, they're, and, very, they're very eatable. You can definitely see it, especially if I was drinking beer. A lot of these would oh, be like everything. Yeah. This wow. is a panda shaped melon cookie. Oh, I wanted to try that. Ooh, it's really good. Wow. You get the melon flavor like really aggressively and it's weird having it with like a cookie flavor. Bro, I've never had a cookie like that in my life. Oh, that's, yeah. so, that's so strange. Try it with the uh, toki. It's amazing. Oh, I don't have enough toki. Here, pour me a little toki. More toki. Man, that is a good cookie. I'm used to having the cookies like tarts where you have like the fruit on top of it, but never baked into the cookie. Yeah. I'm used to having everything from Japan taste like fish. (laughs) And it doesn't. No. Even the ones that taste like fish are good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I I think we're going to take a break. Take a break. We have to clean up. So we have to (laughs) open snacks. We're going to throw half them away. (laughs) We don't need all these. We've got Japanese characters all over the place. And then we're going to come back and try what I think is going to be a completely different experience for us. I think it might the also be. coffee malt whiskey. All right. Be right back.
So we're back now. We just got distracted just plowing through Japanese snacks <laughs> and just literally raving about how we were surprised by how much we enjoyed Toki. So yeah. now we're going to go to uh, kind of a kissing cousin of, of the Suntory Toki. And uh, Scott's going to tell us what we're going to drink next. Yeah. So this is uh, the Nika Coffee Malt Whiskey. Now, even though it says malt in the name, it is not a malt whiskey. It's a what? grain whiskey. What? And here's why. In order for it to be a malt whiskey, it would have to be made in a pot still. And like the name, coffee, C-O-F-F. E-Y, it is made in a coffee still. Oh. So it cannot be a malt whiskey. So it's a grain uh. whiskey. Its proof is 90, 45%. Ooh, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, uh, its mash bill is 100% barley, and there is no age statement. Hmm. So if you're wondering what the difference is between a coffee still and a pot still, the coffee still was patented in 1830 by an Irishman named Aeneas Coffee. coffee. Yeah. Right. The uh, coffee still is a continuous distillation apparatus. It's two columns. That's why they call it a column still. But he patented the first version of it. And basically, the coffee still is like having a pot still, a bunch of them stacked on top of each other. Right. One of the detractors of the pot still is that right. you have to clean it after every one because it right. contains all of the dust. All the impurities. All the that impurities, you're, you're... yeah. The way the coffee still works is that a lot of the impurities that happens in a distillation process are gassed off oh, I see in a column still, okay. whereas all they're right. retained in the pot still. I understand. Yeah. But one of the advantages of the pot still is that it retains a lot of the flavors that people say that the continuous still will weed out because you're basically distilling it over and over over and right. over and over right. and over again. So a lot of people do not make 100% malted barley whiskey with a coffee still. So that's why this is unique. Okay. Mm. All right. So that's just the difference between a coffee still and a pot still. Interesting. So the impurities that collect over time and some whiskeys, not all, they will give the whiskey a green apple texture to them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we're tasting unclean spirit? Mm-mm. <laughs> no, there, there's. Are some you guys great... still drinking your toki? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not cutting ahead. You know, we didn't cut ahead a lot. I'm not a fucking monster. Random belligerents. Wow. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so here's the Nika history, and then we will try it. At the turn of the 20th century, a young Japanese man had a single ambition to do what nobody else had done before. Make authentic whiskey on Japanese soil, just like the guy who started Suntory, Ed mentioned earlier. His name was Masataka Takatsuru, and he would become not only the founder of Nika distilleries, but also the undisputed father of Japanese whiskey. What? What about my guy? Uh, uh, Well, I don't know. He's he's like the weird uncle. He's the weird uncle. Born into a sake brewing family in Hiroshima (laughs) in 1894, Masataka would eventually study brewing technology at a vocational high school in Osaka while working part-time for Setsu Shuzo, a company with whiskey ambitions of their own. In 1918, they sent Masataka to Scotland to learn the secrets of whiskey making. There, he enrolled at the University of Glasgow, where he took chemistry classes and over the course of two years, apprenticed at three different Scotch distilleries, learning directly at the hands of masters of the craft. In 1920, Masataka returned to Japan with his Scottish wife, Rita. That was a scandal, I bet. I bet. Mm, 1920. 1920, yeah. Only to discover that the Setsu Shouzu company who had financed his training in, in the first place had abandoned its plan to produce whiskey at all as a result of economic recessions that occurred following World War One. All was not lost, however, because another company, Kotobukiya, which would eventually become Satori, was looking to get in the whiskey distilling business, and so it was that Masataka, who was really the only Japanese person with an intimate knowledge of how whiskey was actually made, was quickly hired and in 1923 oversaw the construction of the Yamazaki distillery that Ed had mentioned, which ended up producing the very first Japanese whiskeys. Correct. 
So Masataka had a 10-year contract, and once that was up, he went independent and wanted to create a whiskey that fit his personal ideas. In 1934, he created his own company that actually started out making various products from apples under the name Dai Nippon Kaju, meaning the Great Japanese Juice Company. But this was just so that he could make money while building a distillery of his own in the city of Yoichi in the far northern prefecture of Hokkaido. Despite its remote location, Masataka had always considered Yoichi to be the perfect site for creating whiskey for the single reason that its climate, which was cool and crisp but just the right levels of humidity, was so similar to Scotland's. So, in 1936, the first pot still ever built in Japan, designed by Masataka himself, was installed, and in 1940, finally yielded its first batch of whiskey. Interesting. The brand name of this new whiskey was Nika, an abbreviation of the company's current name, Nippon Kaju. Nika. Nika. Yeah. Which apparently Masataka liked so well, he later used it to name the entire company. Upon his death in 1979, Masataka's son Takeshi took over and expanded the business significantly. Today, now part of the Asahi Group, the company owns eight distilleries, one of which is actually in Scotland, offers at least a dozen different whiskey expressions, and is the second largest whiskey producer in Japan. Interesting. It really is an interesting story. So did him and uh, Shinjiro Tori stay friendly with each other? You know, I'm not really sure, but he, I mean, they, he they, worked with them for 10 years. I mean, there's only a couple people making whiskey. There's enough whiskey room for everybody, right? Right, you know yeah. right. But uh, much like what whiskey distilling in this country and in Scotland, where it's very fraternal. Everyone's very friendly yeah. with each other. There's competition, but it's friendly competition. Yeah. And I have a feeling that this was probably the same thing. So um, the tasting notes for this, we're supposed okay. to smell butterscotch, vanilla, malty yep. sweetness, Yo, God, yeah. Light bits of caramel, buttered pastry, fruit, and spice. I get all that. Caramel, butter, like definitely like I'm smelling a warm pastry. Yeah. So buttery. Remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable. On the palate, malt, fruits, nut, vanilla, butterscotch, light notes of spice, minerals, and toasted grain. I have to tell you, this is completely different than the Tokyo. Yeah. And it is spectacular. Oh my God, this is so good. So fucking Mm -hmm. different and so delicious. Wow. I mean, two tremendous winners here. Not bad, right? Bad. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't suck. I feel like having both of them, Mm. they kind of fill two different taste profiles in Japanese whiskey. They're both also very dessert-like in different ways. They are. Yeah, the the, the Toki is definitely lighter. And as we remarked earlier, it is definitely lighter in color than the Nikka, but not by a whole lot. Uh, not as much as I thought, but yeah. more, than, more than you think right now. Bitch. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, is a lot. this is unnecessary. It took completely unnecessary. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> Has it? This is the first like, time most of us podcast. are like socializing since the apocalypse <laughs> began. Uh, you know, uh, we, we've made it through so many things. Murder hornets and tornadoes oh. and protests I, and plague. Thing, yeah, I heard the next thing that was coming was uh, Korean fire-breathing squirrels. Are they like the flying squirrels? No, I no, hope no. so. Fire-breathing. I actually heard it was uh, <laughs> Korean spider monkeys. Oh, oh. Wait, wait, sniper monkeys. Damn it. Oh, sniper. You do it again. All right, you know what I heard it was? You know what I heard it was? What? Do what? You? What? Do you? What? Korean sniper monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> could you could you pick a different country? Mine was Korean squirrels. Uh, yeah. Pick a different you country. You know what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Did, did you? Add Cambodian. Oh, God. Cambodian is a good Cambodian one. Cambodian sniper. Sp- uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Cambodian sniper monkeys. <laughs> that's, Cambodian sniper. Fuck. That, that's yeah. amazing. Cambodian sniper monkeys. Yep. Cambodian sniper monkeys. Oh, yep. They should arrive any day now. <laughs> They'll uh, mate with the uh, fire-breathing Korean squirrels, and oh god, I don't even know what that is. Giant sniper squirrel monkey. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's do one more snack, and then I want to talk about how Japan saved the bourbon industry. You should do that while we eat snacks. That's tomorrow. (laughs) 
I, I picked a banana-shaped marshmallow treat with chocolate in the middle of it. Um, this tastes weird. Yeah. It tastes like very fake banana. It's like a circus peanut? No, it's softer than that. It's actually marshmallows. I'm pretty sure I just did a jello shot. It's delicious. Shocking. Mine is rice crackers with soy sauce. <laughs> oh, oh, is it made of rice? <laughs> Why do I always get the ones that you can't open? Oh, Jesus. There it is. That tastes like something mm. I've had in this country. I don't know where or what. I had something just like this. Yeah, yeah, the green one, but it's still different, I think. Oh, no, it was the one with the drums on it. Oh, yeah, you didn't leave us any of that, so I don't know. No, I ate all those. Sorry. It's like if you took a corn puff and, like, Cracker Jack and had a baby. Huh. Oh, these are good. I like these a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really good. Oh, fascinating. This almost looks like mochi, and it's like a, almost like a marshmallow on the outside. Yeah, oh, you got the you got the strawberry marshmallow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a little strawberry man on top that was smiling at me. There's so a there's a him. chocolate one too in there. Yeah. Let there's me like see a little the bit of strawberry one. cream on the inside. Yeah, this guy. There's a chocolate one. Yeah. Um, when I worked in Chinatown, we used to get little snacks from like the market across the street. They would play like 90s kind of Mandarin pop music. Mm-hmm. Like think 90s era post-Genesis Phil Collins, but it's in Mandarin. <laughs> um, it was really cool. And one of my favorite Japanese like kind of treats that we would get every now and then, they were like these logs. And it was like a graham cracker log shape that was wrapped in chocolate. So it almost looked like uh, the outside versus the inside of a tree stump. <laughs> and they were salted on top. And like that oh. combination of like... Like the salt and the graham cracker and like the dark chocolate around the it was almost like a you took the best parts of a pocky and then just made them like little bite-sized guys oh pockies i should have got pockies oh man pockies are elite all right i think we satisfied our we japanese did, we snack did a nice job. yeah we did a good job yeah. here all right so this is an interesting uh, article that i came upon just written this february called how japan created the modern american bourbon market by aaron goldfarb at vine pair so you know i do what i do i take his uh, thing embellish it and i add my own stuff to it and this is how japan saved bourbon. The year was 1975, and American bourbon was in trouble. The delicious brown spirit that had hit its peak just five years earlier, selling 80 million cases in 1970, was tanking. Baby boomers, our our parents, (laughs) bitches, were coming of drinking age and rejecting the stuffy whiskey that their parents drank in favor of beer, wine, and clear spirits like vodka and tequila. Enter one William Uraco, head of Shinley International's export division, who had an idea. If young Americans were rebelling against their elders' drinking preferences, then perhaps there was a way to get young folks in the international market to do the same. At the time, the overseas whiskey market was all about the scotch, and bourbon was almost completely unknown and quite a departure in taste, as everybody here knows. But Yurako saw the disadvantages as an opportunity, so he began taking reconnaissance trips to the Far East in 1972, focusing his efforts on Japan's post-college consumers, whose tastes were more attuned to Western products and ideas like Coca-Cola and Levi's than their parents were, opening them up to the idea of drinking something different. However, it can be difficult for foreigners to make headway in Japanese business world, so Yurako offered a distribution partnership with Suntory. The problem? Brown Foreman had also just offered Suntory the same deal. So, Suntory came back to them with a proposal that both Shenley and Brown Foreman provide Suntory with exclusive Japanese marketing rights to three bourbon brands each. Now, it cannot be overstated how crazy of an idea this is. It would be like if Ford and General Motors gave Toyota the rights to market their three top-selling cars in Japan. And it was a major gamble for everybody involved. But neither Shenley nor Brown Foreman had much to lose because they felt like if they didn't take the deal, the bourbon industry itself might not even exist by the end of the 80s. So Shenley offered up Ancient Age, J.W. Dant, and I.W. Harper. 
Brown Foreman handed over early times Old Forrester and Jack Daniels. Wow. And so, yeah. And Suntory came up with an ambitious plan. They wanted to flood the entire country with a critical mass of bourbon and a product for every taste and price level, with each brand having its own identity and market segment. They began setting up bourbon bars all over Japan that played country music and served American food like hamburgers and chili, and the only liquor they poured were those six American brands. Also, instead of buying single glasses, customers were encouraged to purchase whole bottles and store them in cabinets along the bars. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, how to, uh, sound familiar, Anders? <laughs> Somebody should do something like yeah. that. <laughs> that's uh. what he, he makes us do at the, the, the bar. <laughs> uh, and it quickly became a youthful challenge to see who could drink the most bottles. Ed. <laughs> like some sort of 100 whiskey club yeah, or something. Yeah, uh, that, that would never happen. That's weird. Yeah. Eventually, other old bourbon brands started getting new life in Japan as well. Four Roses, for instance, which Seagram's had bastardized into a bottom-shelf blended whiskey cut with neutral grain spirits and added flavorings, was almost dead in America in the 90s. But in Japan, Four Roses was a legitimate straight bourbon whiskey packaged in sleek cognac-style bottles embossed with silver roses, and it was a huge hit. Also, Blanton's, like we talked about in our quick taste that mm-hmm. we released just a few weeks ago, was specifically created for this new and seemingly insatiable Japanese bourbon market. Furthermore, Japanese consumers were used to the older is better double digit age statements for Scotch whiskey, and bourbon producers, who had a vast backlog of older whiskeys just sitting around and considered to be too oaky and overage drunk in America, realized they could sell these same spirits to Japan at a premium. Julian Van Winkle III, scion of the Pappy dynasty, initially offered a 12-year bottling and kept his nascent company afloat in the mid-80s by providing Japan with special expressions designed specifically for Japanese tastes. While Turkey founder Jimmy Russell visited Japan every year during the 80s, bringing with him special bottlings aged upwards of 13 years, and Heaven Hill bottled a 23-year Evan Williams expression. And so the general industry consensus about bourbon changed. Not only could bourbon once again be sold as a specially crafted spirit, it could also be marketed at a higher price points and people stopped thinking that it needed to be young. But the pendulum swings both ways, and it was only a matter of time that a newer generation of American master distillers made it their mission to repeat the Japanese success of bourbon, but in America. By the early 2000s, Four Roses started letting American consumers finally taste the high-quality bourbon that Japan had been enjoying for decades. The Seagram's company collapsed and started selling off its assets, which enabled Kirin to buy Four Roses outright and move their offices from Tokyo to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. This preceded a cascade of mergers and acquisitions of bourbon brands and distillers like Beam Suntory. Unfortunately, bourbon's rebirth in America caused many brands to pull back their products from the Japanese market, causing Japan's taste for bourbon to dwindle. But I think now you can see why, without Japanese frenzied 30-year love affair with American bourbon, there might not be any bourbon in America to enjoy today. Awesome. Great yeah, story. so fucking cool. I did not know that. I wish I could have been around for that era. I was around. I was drinking beer. Right. right. Me too. Well, I was drinking Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, but I wasn't really uh, understanding what was going on overseas. No. And I have to tell you, I, I don't want to have to pick which of these I like better. <laughs> because they're really distinctly different, and they're both spectacular. Mm. If I had to pick... I think I'm going to take the Nika. It's a little more complex. It's a little dark. It's a little higher proof. But that's not to say that the Toki is any slouch. Yeah. To me, yeah. Anders, what do you think? (sighs) 
Throwback to what we did. Yeah, like yeah. March Madness. This is March Madness. This is the end of the Japanese bracket. Right. And we have to decide yeah. who comes out of this into the final pool. Oh, man. Are we going to do like eight brackets after <laughs> next year? <laughs> it might happen. Maybe. It's going to be 32, uh, I know. 32 whiskeys next year. Well, that's the funniest story about that is that Scott wanted eight whiskeys in each bracket. And I was like literally up all night walking around my room <laughs> trying like, I, I can't do that. I can't. Yeah. How I was like, I can't drink 16 whiskeys around. I yeah. can't drink that many whiskeys. My, my original idea was for the mini bottles. Yeah, but think about that. Yeah, uh, well, well, yeah, I know. It, right. It's you, over a bottle. You made me see reason. <laughs> I was like, I literally like called him like on a work day in the morning, like, hey man, I know you're working, but I, I've been thinking about this. We can't drink that much at one time. I even I can't. Not every weekend for the next month. Not the way you drink it. <laughs> I think oh he's making decisions. I choose Nika. Oh, you choose Nika. Yeah, yeah. I, we all do. Is that it's, unanimous? Yeah. <laughs> It's so choice. close, yeah. though. It's so, God, it's, it's just because it's more complex. It is. Yeah, it's like <laughs> choosing dessert at the end. A nice dinner. Yeah. The server comes out, and they're like, all right, would you like the, the apple kugel, or would you like this peanut butter, caramel, chocolate fudge, uh, sinful explosion extravaganza? <laughs> it's like, well, I was on a diet this morning, so I should say apple kugel. Right. Do you want this light little airy almond cookie, or do you want death by chocolate? <laughs> Anyway. Always choose death by chocolate. <laughs> Always choose death by chocolate. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in for our first Japanese whiskey episode. This was amazing. I want to thank Anders for not only being here, but also choosing the two whiskeys for us to highlight. And here's the best part, bringing the two whiskeys with him. <laughs> yes. I mean, you want to, if you want to talk about the best guests we've ever had in the podcast. I bought my way onto this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he literally arrived. He brought his knowledge. He told us which whiskeys would be the best for us to compare. And then, he, oh, wait, I'll bring the two bottles with me. So <laughs> Also, uh, sorry. Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, well, Gabe has brought bottles. That's not fair. He, he opened up our eyes to Old Ezra, which we just used he last did. episode. He brought the tealings. He brought the tealings. Which immediately became one of your favorite whiskeys yes. of Gabe has great taste. Does being a jerk great... to him. Yeah, that's right, yes, Ed. Stop. That's right. I saw Gabe today, actually. He came over to get Siobhan's uh, cat tower. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's so not cool. What? I don't know. Just somehow we're talking about him being a great whiskey guy, picking whiskey, and like, oh, yeah, he came to get the cat tower. Well, his daughter wants a cat. Yeah. So. Because it's like, that's the most cunty thing I could ever picture him doing right now. Like, <laughs> getting a cat tower? I don't know. It's just something weird about, like, hey, man, yeah, like, I just roped a steer, drank some whiskey, and then I went and got a cat tower for my daughter. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Cat tower. Oh, like, shit. I mean, just say, when you, edit, when you edit this, just be like, hey, I saw Gay today. He stopped by. That's it. Just leave it there. No, no. He was getting tower. a cat tower. He's a, a respectable tower. man, and you better respect that. Well, I don't, he has I, a daughter who wants a fucking cat head, okay? Listen. <laughs> if he wants to... Listen. <laughs> this has gone off the rails. Um, anyway, so you saw Gabe today. That must have been nice. Yeah, yes, it, uh, it really was. How's he doing? He's doing fine. Getting a cat, I hear. He is getting a cat. It's yeah. The only puss he's had for a while. Oh, Damn. shit. I, I just <laughs> tried to be nice. He tried. <laughs> Me too. Okay. <laughs> Goddamn pandemic. Okay, so here we go. Here's the final statement. Japanese snacks, amazing. amazing. Japanese whiskey, amazing. Also amazing. amazing. Yeah. Japanese anime, I can take it or leave it. Oh, yeah. what? Well, it depends on what version. It, it depends on what it is. Yeah, yeah. Depends on how much clothes they're wearing. Star Blazers was fucking Damn. awesome. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Star Blazers good. Star Blazers good. Naked <laughs> anime also good. <laughs> So it's all good then. Um, discerning <laughs> listeners will realize a naked anime joke I made like 45 minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> keep shit. that in there, Scott. Easter egg yeah. or whatever Japanese people call it, Easter eggs. <laughs> they don't. They don't have any. There's oh, they no don't translation. Have, they don't. Oh, oh, very nice. 
Um, I guess a little work related things. Um, oh, starting okay. yeah, yes. please, please. June fifteenth, yeah. yeah. the local eatery and pub will be serving some iteration of outdoor seating. We will be serving batched cocktails along with uh, a limited menu outdoors. We'll also be having uh, cocktails to go, which we are currently serving the local, along with some phenomenal beer selections from some local breweries. And uh, come say hello. I'm there like every day of the week that ends in Y. And he's you. lonely. Yeah, I miss the lounge. I know. Um, oh, I miss well, lounge. I miss you guys. Dude, we I, miss I, it so much. We do. Doug and Phil and Doug and Jeremy, uh, Aaliyah, I will do everything in my power to help you win that bet <laughs> that you made. Marty, Rachel, thank you for reaching out to me. I miss you guys so much. But, uh, so many people. <laughs> Oh, this is awful. Yeah, it's been such a yeah. It's been a terrible time. Yeah, I'm really worried about having to serve people drinks after they've been making their own drinks for the past twelve weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry, you want a quadruple? That's not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. home I did like nine so, fingers. It's like I'm a bartender. How do you drink as much as yeah. I do now? Yeah. What the fuck happened to you? Oh, you be your yeah, own bartender. Right, they're their own bartenders. It now. used to be That's four why. fingers. Now it's four arm. Uh, four arm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Like, so really the point we made tonight is get some Japanese snacks or some American snacks, yes. zoom with a couple friends, both go out, get the same bottle of some Tori or Nika and talk about, hey, Scott, Anders and Ed were right. It's delicious. <laughs> we miss you all. Be safe. Thank you so much for listening to the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Ed. I'm Scott. I'm Anders. And until next time, be well. Kampai. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Whiskey Tangent. And follow us on Twitter at Whiskey Tangent. You can follow me personally at That Whiskey Guy. And follow Scott at Giant Cup of Awesome, spelled A-W-S-U-M, just to be annoying. Hey! You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.